Okay, First Peter 5, chapter, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow soldier and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compassion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfailing gown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you, Bob. You may be seated. And take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's fair week here in the uh, Delaware County. And uh, many of you would be surprised to know that uh, I never participated in 4-H in my life. My argument was I had enough of the animals at home. I didn't want ha- to do that for fun as well. So uh, I never had, I never showed pigs at 4-H. I'm not judging those who do, it just, it wasn't, uh, wasn't part of my uh, upbringing years. I did go to the fair and eat funnel cakes and elephant ears and lots of them. By the way, what happened to this area right here? Like something went off in this area. It's weird, there's a hole. Okay, I don't know what happened. We're in First Peter, and you know I've, I've made the argument that First Peter is a manual for the Christian life, a field manual for the Christian life, and uh, Peter talks a lot about suffering, and so it may seem odd that in all of his talk about suffering, he's going to plop into, our, into his letter a section on leadership. And um, this may seem odd, but let me tell you why I think it's not odd. Leadership is often most vividly put on display when life is hard, amen? In other words, we have DBC 101 today. That's a class where we teach people about our church history, our doctrine, and all this kind of stuff. And what I tell them is, we walk through the church constitution, and I tell them, our church constitution, people pretty much ignore it when everything is going well. But when when things in the church get difficult, they start reading it because it it outlines, it's kind of the rules of the road of how we're going to do church, how we're going to resolve issues and and so on and so forth. Where's the chain of command? Where's the line of authority? It's all spelled out in the church constitution. And I would say it makes perfect sense for Peter to put this section in here because the church is going through a time of suffering because of their association with Jesus Christ And during that time, it's going to be imperative for leaders to not lay down, for leaders to not buckle under the pressure, but it's going to be all the more important for church leaders in that phase, in that mode, to stand up and work hard. Again, the quality of leadership is often put on display in times of adversity and suffering. It's when things within the church get emotional. It's when things in the church get hard. It's when big decisions have to be made and you know darn well 
Half, whatever you decide, half of the people are gonna love you and half of the people are gonna hate your guts, right? Leadership is important in those moments. Now, can I just say, can I just say, and I'm, I'm not aiming to get all political, but we have a dearth of leadership in our country today. That would be a good time for an amen. We have a dirt, we're lacking in leadership today. And, and what I mean by that is that when's the last time that you felt the refreshing breath of air that was a leader who made a decision knowing that it would cost him or her politically, but it was the right thing to do? I can't remember the last time that happened. We have a lot of leaders that will make decisions for their own political well-being, we'll have a lot of leaders that'll make a lot of decisions for their own party to survive or thrive. We have leaders that will look at, our, look at us into the, look at our eyeballs in the camera and tell us lies. It makes me quake to say this. That will look in the camera and tell us lies to further an agenda that's not necessarily what's best for the country, but maybe what's best for them or their side. We are suffering from a lack of leadership in this country. Back to the church. This could also be said of the church. I mean, if you've been paying attention at all, perhaps you listened to the uh, podcast series, uh, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. What's that podcast series about? It's about what happens when church leadership goes sour. You see a church movement rise to the apex of of at least attendance, you know, attendance and money and influence, and then shrink down and eventually just disappear. Why? Leadership or the lack thereof. So in our passage today, Peter's gonna share a bit about church leadership as he begins to close his letter. This is the last chapter of Peter. And so the big question on the table today is this, what, as we consider suffering for Christ, what is God's plan for human leadership among his people? And here I'm talking about the church, the, God's plan for human leadership among his people. I believe, I believe that uh, God's plan for church leadership is very, very elegant and well-designed, although from a human, human standpoint, from a hierarchy standpoint, it seems very flat. You've got the congregation and out of the congregation is called a few men to lead the congregation, but to leave them, lead them in a servant kind of way. That's it. That's the structure. Out of the congregation of God's people are called a group of men to lead the congregation, but to lead them in, serv in a servanthood kind of way. I think it's elegant and robust at the same time, although very simple. So, Today, what, I, what my goal is, is to try to challenge your thinking on what church elders are. And so I'm going to go into 1 Peter chapter 5, but I'm also going to expand a little bit beyond that to, to take a more uh, fully orbed look at leadership today. So uh, let's, look at, let's just get into it. First of all, who are church leaders or who are church elders? Who are church elders? And for this, we need to really flip in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, hold your finger in uh, 1 Peter 5, but 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going. And here, what we have is really uh, uh, 
the qualifications for an elder. It's in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Titus 1. We'll read both. But uh, I wanted to read 1 Timothy 3 and, and give you some thoughts. 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, and that's the same as an elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church, for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up and with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Okay, uh, first and foremost, I wanna share with you uh, something that is, I think, obvious in this text. But I'm about to step up on my soapbox. It's kind of metaphorically sitting right here. And so, uh, you know, if I, if I get a little too heated, please stop me and, and rebuke me. I, in my life, have come across certain individuals who have come to me and said the following. I have been called into ministry. And I say, what's your pastor think of that? Because presumably this is a person from another church. And they say, well, my pastor disagrees completely, but I've been called into ministry, so I'm going to listen to the voice of God and not my pastor. To which I take them to 1 Timothy 3 and say, okay, let's, let's just read the text. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Do you want to be an elder in the church? Yes, I believe God has called me to be an elder of the church. Fine, you have the desire, and it says that's a noble thing. That's a good thing that you want to be an elder. Fantastic. Now, let's read the rest of the text. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, blah, 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 blah. And then I look at him and I say this. Who gets to make the decision whether you are these things? You or the church? And then their face goes like this. You see, I believe, and I think the text makes it pretty clear that there is an inward call to ministry, an inner call to ministry, the desire to do the work. But there's also an external call. That means that other people recognize those character qualities in a person's life, in a man's life. The church recognizes those character qualities and so then identifies that person as an elder. Think about it if it's not that way. Think about it if it's not, think about if I just, if I just walk, if a man that we never met before walks into this church and says, I am an elder of Delaware Bible Church. And I'm like, do I know you? <laughs> I've been called, the Lord has told me that I am an elder of this church. Do we know that guy? Do we know that he's anything like the qualities 
that are in there? Well, what if we ask him that? And he says, yes, I'm all those things and more. You see the problem? The problem is, is that a certain segment of the church falls into this way of thinking and they think that a, a person steps forward and said, I've received a vision from the Lord, I've received a word from the Lord, I've received something from the Lord and I am now an elder or something other like a prophet or a apostle or something. I am something in this church and you must submit to me. Run, just get out of this. No, because I think it's pretty clear in 1 Timothy 3 that, uh, that it's an internal and an external call. A man desires to do the work and we recognize those character qualities as a church in that man. Does that make sense? That clarified so much to me when I saw that for the first time. Now, uh, here's another controversial thing uh, that gets Delaware Bible Church into some trouble with other churches is that we do believe that elders must be men. We believe that God's plan for the church, and I think it's very clear in this text and other places, that though I don't, I don't think that women or men are any better I don't think that men are better than women or women are better than men. I would argue with you this morning and all afternoon, if you like, that my wife is both smarter than me intellectually and uh, uh, oftentimes uh, carries with her a great deal of discernment, sometimes even discerning things far above me. So do I understand why God has decided, has ordained that men should lead the church? No. I simply do, I simply know that this is what God has said and this is what uh, we need to follow. You have to do a lot of grammatical gymnastics to get out of that. Some churches have. So we also see uh, in Titus chapter one, and, and you can just turn there briefly, it's just over a few pages. Titus chapter one, beginning in verse five, I'm not gonna read it, but uh, there's, there again are very similar qualities or characteristics, qualifications of an elder. And so who are church elders? Very simply, church elders are this. They are men aspiring to be like Jesus. That's all the character qualities, right? Who are also gifted to lead, right? An elder must be able to teach. So that's what an elder, that's who church elders are. They've been, they have a desire to do the work and they've been recognized by the congregation as able, as, as men of character. And they also have the gift to lead. That's who they are. Okay, secondly, we see, we're gonna ask this question, what do elders do? And here we get into 1 Peter chapter five, where we read in 1 Peter 5, one and two, the following. So I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as partakers in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, and it goes on. So let's stop right there. What do elders do? First of all, let's recognize something that's, that's uh, very much in verse one is that Peter is going to roll out his resume in order to show you the credibility that he has to make the command that he's gonna make. And let me just share with you the three things in his resume. 
First of all, it says that he was a fellow elder, meaning he, he has this position where he's exercising oversight and shepherding a church, okay? The second thing that we see is that he was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. What we know from the four gospels is that Peter was there. He was there for the miracles. He was there uh, for the feeding of the many, right? He was there when Jesus walked on water. He was there at the crucifixion and he saw the empty tomb with his own eyeballs after the resurrection. He was a witness of all of Christ's life, well, his ministry anyway, and a witness of his sufferings on the cross. That's number two. The third thing is kind of cryptic. He says, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. What do you think he's talking about there? Peter was one of three disciples that got to see something so awesome. So magnificent. Peter, James, and John went up with Jesus on a mountain and Jesus became transfigured. In other words, we think his, his, he took on for just a, a, a few moments his glorified body. Peter got to see that. Peter was there in that moment. And so he's saying, look, I'm a, I'm a fellow elder. I'm also a witness of Christ's suffering and I'm, I've also seen the transfiguration. You can read about that in Matthew 17, Mark 9, Luke 9. You can read about the transfiguration. And so based on that resume, that qualification, he's going to give Peter or Peter's gonna give us these commands to the elders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Let's talk about those two things. First of all, uh, first of all, Peter uh, is going to say that we are to shepherd. Elders are to shepherd. Whenever I think about that, I think of the imagery of Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. All that. Wonderful psalm, worth, worthy of study and reflection, Jesus is also referred to as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. And probably the greatest example or one of the greatest examples in all of scripture of Jesus shepherding someone is Peter himself. Peter, this guy who Jesus said at the last supper, he says, hey, you're gonna deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, 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 Lord, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deny you. I love you, we're good. And then Peter goes on as Jesus is uh, arrested and tried and crucified. Peter goes on to deny Christ three times. And after Jesus is resurrected, he appears to the disciples. They, they've returned to fishing in the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they're fishing and they see this guy standing on the shore cooking breakfast. It's Jesus. And as they bring the boat ashore and as, as Peter interacts with Jesus, we have this moment, this, this fantastic moment. Here's a man who has sinned. He has seen the glory of God, right? He has seen the sufferings of Christ. He has been there with Jesus the whole way and yet still in his sinfulness, he denied Jesus three times. And we have this tender interaction in John 21 between Peter 
And Jesus, you know, that whole, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter, of course, answers that he does, and, and Jesus restores him to gospel ministry. That's the idea of shepherding someone. It's to help them grow and change, become more like Christ, to restore them from broken and sinful to walking in the way of Jesus, not perfectly, but to the best of our ability. That's, that's what shepherds do. Now, you guys picked the short straw. When, when this church drew straws for pastors, you picked the short one. The reason I say that is because I never got the opportunity to grow up on a sheep farm so I could be really good at illustrations about shepherding. I grew up on a hog farm. So I have to settle for, you have to settle for hog illustrations. So when I was living on a farm, when I was a kid, we had all these hogs. Here's what the hogs did to get themselves in trouble. They oftentimes, we, we raised our hogs outside, not because it was anything fancy, but, but not because we were going for free range pork but because it was cheap, right? So we raised a lot of our animals outside and so they had fences. And frequently the hogs would dig and get under the fence. And that was not a good thing because if they get out of the fence, then they can get out, they can either get themselves into trouble or they can get out on the road. And out on the road for a hog, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a hog, but they're not exactly fast. When a truck is coming, it's hard for them to get out of the way. And, you know, growing up out in the country, can I just say this? Between swerving out in the ditch and rolling your car or hitting the animal, we always use, we choose to hit the animal. I know that's hard to say, but um, we've just seen too many examples of people losing their lives because they swerved to miss something. Hogs sometimes, uh, you know, every day when I was a kid, I had to get up and hogs, we, the hogs have these things called feeders, you know, feeders. And uh, it's just this big cone-shaped thing, and it's got, a, it's got a tank at the top, and we fill that thing up with ground-up corn that's got some other nutrients in it, and that's what they eat to get fat, to, get, to, to grow. And so uh, every day I had to get up, and I had to grind up corn, and I had to put it in those feeders because, you know, when they ran out, things got pretty, you know, it got pretty uh, chaotic there when they got hungry. So we had to keep them fed. So we had to make sure that they had food and that the food that they had was good. It wasn't ground out of moldy corn or... or or anything like that. It was good food. We also had to make sure that they didn't, because they did once in a while, get hold of something dangerous. There's nothing, nothing scarier, right, than seeing the hogs get out of the fence, and the next thing you know, they're chewing up the insides of an electrical panel. That's not good. That's fried bacon for supper, right? That's what that is. So we had to make sure that they didn't get a hold of something dangerous. And then and then there was also one other threat, and that was uh, the threat of attack either from outside, an animal from outside. Now, with hogs, they're pretty robust animals. Not a lot of creatures pick on them. Uh, at least ours, that never happened with us. But the, the, the attackers that we had to pay attention to were actually birds. Birds carry disease, and they would spread disease in the herd. So we took all kinds of steps to protect the hogs from disease-carrying birds. But I bet you didn't know this. We also had to protect them from attacking each other. 
So here's a very typical scenario. You know those, uh, you know those long curly tails that look so cute on the back of a hog? No, nobody's seen a pig's tail? Yeah. So if, if you're at the feeder, if you're the hog and you've got your head stuffed in the feeder and you're eating some lovely ground up corn and another hog wants your spot, what do you think they bite to get you out of the way? That long curly tail. And if they bite hard enough, it bleeds and, and then it might become infected and it might even make that animal very sick. And so when they were very young, we bobbed their tails to keep them from hurting each other. Uh, it wasn't any fun. Uh, I don't know how many thousand pig's tails I cut off in my life, but um, it was a lot. But we did that to protect them. So what am I saying here? What am I saying here? Part of the shepherding activities that the elders of this church do is very similar, right? If someone takes their life and they take it and they start walking outside the boundaries of what God's word clearly says, we might try, well, we should be trying to get them back into the biblical boundaries, right? Because we love them. We want them to have good food. By that, we're talking about spiritual food, more than we're talking about physical food, although around here we share meals a lot too. Uh, we wanna make sure that people are reading their Bible and they're reading books that are rich in theology. And so if we see a book circulating in the church that we know is filled with junk food or it's, it's even false doctrine, we're gonna try to stop it. We're gonna say something, not because we're trying to control, but because we're trying to love and shepherd the flock. We're gonna make sure that people don't get a hold of that dangerous stuff. And we're gonna make sure that we protect the church from attackers from outside, usually for the church that comes in the form of a false teacher. So we might warn you once in a while about a name or a person who's out there teaching false doctrine and to warn you that we don't believe this person is teaching properly. But we also wanna keep, keep the attacks from inside the flock from happening too. And so we might uh, encourage you to maintain good relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ so that no division or bitterness sparks up in our congregation. We're, we are to shepherd. It also says, Peter says that we are to exercise oversight. And I'll talk more about this in a moment, but let me just say this. In, in any organization, and that's really what we are, we've, we've organized ourselves around the teaching of God's word. In any organization, once in a while, somebody needs to make a decision. And I know sometimes we don't always like the decision is made, but can we also admit that, that it's also equally as frustrating to know that a decision needs to be made and nobody's making it? It is. And so elders are to exercise oversight, i.e. they are to exercise some authority. I'll talk more about that in a second, but let me just say this. If you've, if you've not read our church's constitution, I believe it's available on our website. Our church is a, is a hybrid, really. The way we're governed is a hybrid. We're, we're a hybrid of elder-led and congregational government. What do I mean by that? I mean that for most things, the elders of this church, there are 11 of us currently, uh, for most decisions, the elders of this church make, make the tough decisions, but there are five things listed in the constitution that, that you must vote on. Me, you meaning all of the formal members of this church. 
And that's things like the annual operating budget. Uh, if we're going to take on debt as a congregation. If we're going to call a new pastor, you have to vote on that. Um, if we're going to change the Constitution, you have to vote on that. And the fifth one is the, is the safety, right? It's whatever else the elders say we'd like you to vote on, you have to vote on that as well. So there is some sharing of the authority, but on, on many of the day-to-day things, the elder board uh, exercises authority. Let's just talk a little bit more about that. First, First Timothy 4.14 says this, do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you, this is Paul talking to Timothy, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. We take this to mean, or I'll speak for myself, I take this to mean that it's part, part of the elders' responsibilities is to, is to appoint or select other elders. Now, it's funny that, that uh, this sermon is coming up now because in our elder meeting this past week, we talked about choosing the elders for the next year, for the, the year 2022. Can you believe we're in 2022? But for the year 2022, we talked about selecting those elders. And what we typically do is we, we, we get a, a group of guys, uh, make a list, we approach them, get them praying about it and so on. And if they agree, then we, we run those names past you because we want to hear from you if there's any reservations about any of those men. And so, uh, but at the end of the day, what's going to happen, that the end, at the end of the day, when the selection is made, at an elder meeting, we will vote on who will be the next, serve as the next elders of this church. Uh, if you want to read Ephesians 4, I'm not going to turn there right now, it's a very familiar passage of scripture, but... Um, in Ephesians chapter four, uh, it talks about how God has gifted the church with certain people to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So that's another thing that elders do. They equip the saints for the work of ministry through teaching, by example, through shepherding, and by exercising oversight. James 5.14 says this, is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. As part of our shepherding responsibilities, what do we do? When someone is sick, we minister to them. Now, if you read this passage in its context, I believe what this passage is saying is that it, there's, nothing, there's nothing magical or mystical about these 11 guys praying, you know, any Christian can pray for any other Christian, but, but there is something maybe a little bit more weighty to having uh, the elders come around you and pray because it's... it's, it's it's designed, I think, to encourage the sick person. In other words, uh, someone who is sick is going through such a trial that they may be encouraged to lose, lose heart just a little bit. And so the elders coming over and, and praying with them and anointing them may be of a tremendous encouragement to them as well. We, we minister to people who are going through trials. We also see Titus 1.9. Uh, Titus 1.9 says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as it, as it is taught or as taught, so we may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Again, as part of our oversight duties, the elders of this church need to be in the word studying and studying to the point where we can understand and, and identify when false doctrine may be coming into the church and we can stand against it. It's not a control thing if we're doing it right, it's a loving thing. We're trying to make sure that 
good solid food is coming in to the church. Now, I don't even, I don't even know if you understand or comprehend. Does everybody understand that there's a lot of Christian books that are written or books that are written under the heading of Christian books that are absolute garbage? Do you guys understand that? I have a heresy section in my office. I can run you through something. I can, and I can turn to the, I can typically turn to the page and say, read this right here. Does that sound remotely biblical to you? And yet this person is writing in the name of Jesus Christ as, and holding this, this work out as Christian work. And so uh, we, we work on that. So again, just to boil it down, what do elders do? Elders shepherd and they oversee. They guide and lead people into the truth and they oversee the overall workings of the church. I don't know, again, I don't know if you know this, but at Delaware Bible Church, the elders function as the legal head of this not-for-profit organization. You know, legally speaking, to the government, we're a not-for-profit organization. And so, uh, legally, uh, there has to be a board that approves financial transactions, a, a, a board that approves the mean, meeting minutes, a board that makes sure that everything is happening within legal guidelines, but more importantly to us than that, is to make sure that everything is happening within biblical guidelines. We have to oversee the various ministries of the church, including the Christian school. And we have to shepherd people towards spiritual maturity and service to Christ. That's what elders do. Now, let's talk about, again, we're gonna go back to 1 Peter now. How do elders carry out their duties? And there's a lot of this in 1 Peter 5. So let me just let me just read 1 Peter 5 to I think I'm just going to do 2 and 3. It says shepherd the flock this is Peter's command shepherd the flock of God that is among you. We talked about that exercising oversight. We talked about that. Okay, now here's the how. Here's the how. Here's how elders are supposed to do it. Not under compulsion but willingly. As God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. There's the how. Now, other places in scripture, we're gonna see some other hows, but for, for our purposes today, let's focus on these. Not under compulsion, but willingly. This is a very common happening amongst us on the elder board. We'll sit around the elder meeting at this time of year and we'll, we'll talk about who can serve on the elder board next year and we'll say things like this. Oh my goodness, wouldn't it be wonderful if Joe would serve on the board? Joe is so gifted. He, he, knows, his, he knows the word of God so well. Joe uh, is so good with people. He's very kind and gentle and, and he's also a very humble man. He fits all the qualifications of an elder Let's get Joe. Let's ask Joe if he'll serve. And we go to Joe and we ask Joe to serve and Joe will say something like this. You know, I have never ever in my life had the desire to serve on the elder board. It's just not who I am. And so we'll do this. Please, Joe, you're so good for this. Why are you neglecting the gift that is in you? Joe, you got us. And we'll start, you'll be, the temptation will, will be to, to twist the arm a little bit. 
No, we don't twist his arm. A man who serves, listen to me, a man who serves as an elder under compulsion, in other words, a man that's been talked into it, a man who's serving because he's been taken on some sort of a guilt trip, a man like that will not have the grace necessary to deal with the tough situations that we must deal with on the elder board. Because once, the really, once we get into the really thick soup of a really nasty situation, he'll probably be tempted to say to himself, I didn't want this anyway. <laughs> I didn't want to be here. No, we need men who are of a mind to say, this is right, God has me here for such a time as this. I'm going to use the things that God has given me. We're going to work through this problem. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I don't know that, so when you read that, you might think uh, money, you know, not to get rich. And here at Delaware Bible Church, I'm sure it's different at different churches. Every church is a little different, but here at Delaware Bible Church, the only elders that get any money for what they do are the the, uh, pastoral staff. Brad and Aaron and I take a salary, but the other elders don't get paid anything. I guess they get a key to the building. a hearty handshake, a pat on the back, and the warm glow of being an elder. But besides monetary gain, which I don't think is maybe a problem around here, let me just say this. There is a certain type of man who thrives on being put in a position of authority. You know what I'm talking about? Typically a very prideful man. A man who who loves to exercise authority because it makes him look like he's in the upper echelon or something. Those are exactly the kind of guys we do not want on the elder board. (laughs) Remember what I said earlier, an elder is someone from out of the congregation who then leads the congregation, but in a servant leadership kind of way, from a position of humility. So, third, not domineering those in your charge, but being an example to the flock not domineering those over your charge, but being examples to the flock. Here's the image that I conjure in my mind when I read this. Imagine that up here on the platform is the flock, okay? You can imagine sheep if you want, or if you're grosser, you can imagine hogs, okay? And uh, there's a whole bunch of sheep on the flock, and there's really two ways to get the sheep from A to B. And let's say that B is spiritual maturity and service to Christ, there's the type of shepherd that says that the, that the sheep has such a good relationship with, the sheep always leads the, the flock to the good water, to the good food, to, to protects from, from outside invaders and protects from each other, whatever. So there's trust there. And so there's the type of, uh, of shepherd that could say, flock, let's go. We're going, you know, I'm gonna walk this way and you follow me towards Christ's likeness. But then there's the other type of leader that gets behind the flock and has the whip. Whoosh. You better go that direction or I'm gonna snap you. What's this passage say? Not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You want the type of leader 
who is going to say, who's going to build relationships and say, we're going this way, let's go. And you follow. Not the kind of leader that's sitting behind you cracking the whip. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to, to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This is a sober reminder to church elders, right? That we are to watch our lives and make sure that we're not falling prey to being proud, conceited, whatever, that we are actually operating in servant leadership. But we also have to understand that we're charged with caring for the, the very people which cost the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't think he thinks you're valuable? He thinks you're super valuable. And he wants you to be led by men who are going to see you as such. Isn't that wonderful? I think it's wonderful. And so I boiled this down to this, that elders, how do elders carry out their duties? They carry out them out by leading and not driving. Leading, not driving. Now, let me say, let me say a word about something because an objection might come up. You might say, well, what about church discipline? Matthew 18, 15 and following. This is a church that practices church discipline and that's, it seems like when somebody gets in church discipline, they're being driven, not led. I disagree. Here's, let's go back to my analogy. You got the flock up here. You got the leadership up here saying, let's go this way. We're all gonna go this way. And the flock, by and large, follows the leader towards spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness, except there's one or two sheep in the flock that dig their heels in and go, uh-uh, no way, I ain't going that way. Not gonna do that. And so the shepherd comes around and says, look, What's the problem? This is the path to Christ's likeness. This is the path that we're going down. And, you know, come along. We want you to join us. And they say, no. I think we should go that way or that way or some other direction. By, in essence, what Matthew 18 is, is an invitation for that member of the flock to get on board with going in God's direction. We don't do practice church discipline for debatable things. We practice church discipline for things that are clearly sin, right? And so it's an invitation to go in that direction and, and just a recognition that if a person refuses to go in that direction, that the flock is going to move on without them. But that any time that that, that, that member, that sheep, Anytime that sheep wants to get on board and go in the same direction as the flock, we'll take them back with open arms and love. But let me say this. You have to think through what is the problem? What is the problem if you're trying to lead a flock towards Christ likeness and spiritual maturity and, and service to the Lord? And there's one or two. Uh, sheep back here that are, that are digging their heels and say, no, we shouldn't go this way. We should go that way. And they convince maybe a percentage, 10%, 20% of the sheep, that maybe our leadership is not all that great and maybe we should go that way. And, and 
The next thing you know, what you have is a flock split or a church split. And so Matthew 18 is an, is an important is an important thing, but even in exercising Matthew 18, we should be exercising it in a way that is tender, loving, and more in the spirit of leading and not in driving. Okay, last two, quickly. What should your response to be to your elders? First uh, Peter 5.5 5 says this, likewise, you who are younger, I believe that's talking about probably age, but maybe also in spiritual maturity, You who are younger, be subject to your elders. Listen to them, right? Submit to them. But then it's just one line, right? And then it goes back to everybody. Clothe yourselves, all of you, elders, members, everybody, everybody, clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. In other words, that's the attitude that we gotta have when we're doing this thing called church with each other. We gotta have an attitude of humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud, over and over in scripture, over and over in scripture, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives that which they do not deserve to the humble. So our attitude towards each other needs to be an attitude of humility. So Hebrews 13, 17 says something similar. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You want, you want to wake Scott T.D. up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat at 2 a.m.? Remind him of that right before he goes to bed. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Let me just say this as, as a word of exhortation. And I think our church is actually really good at this. But again, as as overseers of the church, every once in a while, we have to make decisions. So we have to make decisions about which direction we're gonna go with things like the style of music that we play or sing, uh, the paint color on the wall or whatever, chairs versus pews, whether we're gonna do this, participate in this ministry or that ministry. And a lot of those things are preference items. Be very careful not to quibble about preference items. It wears us out. So I'm gonna make up a complete example that nobody in this church struggles with. But let's just say that we had some member of our church who was just passionate, like passionate down to their core that the best way for us to sing on Sunday morning is out of the hymn book. In other words, get rid of the words on the screen and just do the hymn book. Let's read out of the hymn book. Let's sing out of the hymn book. And that's a preference, right? Reading the words off the screen or playing on reading the words out of the hymn book, that's a preference. I understand there's advantages and disadvantages to both. The elders of the church understand that too. But let's just say that person, like they came to the elder, they they said, I want to appear before the elder board and make my argument for why singing out of the hymn book is more biblical than not. And and let's say that we let them do that and they made their case and we, we decided to keep things as they are. And then for every six months after that, letters are written to the elder board. We gotta read out of the hymn book. We gotta read out of the hymn book. We gotta sing out of the hymn book. Stop. It's a preference. We get it. <laughs> we understand. People feel passionately about things and we appreciate it when they do. But that's one way you can help and make things easy on us is to not 
argue and debate about debatable things. So what's the, how, how should you respond to your elders? Yield yourself, yield yourself to them. And again, only as they follow God's word, not, this is assuming that they're not disobedient to God's word. Okay, last one. What is the reward for leading well? What is the reward for leading well? Well, this is in 1 Peter 5, 4. It says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the Olympic Games and in ancient uh, Roman times, uh, this was not an uncommon sight for people to be glorified by receiving a crown that was made out of plant material in front of all their peers. That crown, because it was made of plant material, faded and died over time. And what, what Peter is saying is that elders, when Jesus reappears, the chief shepherd, they will receive an unfading, the unfading crown of glory. Now, if you read on your, all the way to the end of your Bibles in the book of Revelation, what do we see? And I haven't quite worked out in my mind how this works, but we see an image at the end of this of elders asking them at the feet of Jesus so that he receives all of the glory. Amazing. Amazing. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, let the elders who rule well, so there's a, there's a judgment there, right? The ones that rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And because it would be self-aggrandizing to say any more, study that passage on your own. I'm not gonna exposit what that means. You have to figure it out. But the bottom line is, is that what is the reward for leading well? It's, it seems to be honor, an elder who leads well is going to receive honor from those he serves and the chief shepherd when he appears. So young men, you know what the qualifications are. First Timothy 3, Titus 1. Those are the character qualities you need to develop. You also, you also know that you need to de develop a deep understanding of not only what the word of God says, but how to put it into practice in your own life, get busy. If you want this honor, if you wanna have the privilege of th throwing this crown at the feet of Jesus, uh, the church, okay, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna brag on my fellow elders for a minute and, and you can just think this is all just prideful boasting. It's not. This church is blessed with good elders, and if anybody thinks in this church that the elder board is just Scott's yes men, talk to any of them about our last few meetings. Because they've, they've objected to me to my face and I love them more for it, okay? But we've got good elders. They're not perfect men, but they're men who when they're called on the carpet for if they act or say something that is disobedient to Christ, they repent and confess and, and they, they try to get back. We've got good elders at this church and I tell you what, not every church has this. And that should be the source of a giant amen because I've seen them, I've seen churches that struggle to get one or two elders and they're not that great. Meaning they're not that spiritually mature yet. And so they don't make wise decisions. And so we ought to thank God that he has blessed us with the men that we do have. And you younger men who are maybe not planning to make Delaware Bible Church your home forever and ever till you, you know, pass on, you should still acquire 
seek to acquire the skill, to acquire the wisdom, to become an elder, because the church that you do land in, I promise you this, they'll probably need you. All right, here's the answer to the question. What's God's plan for human leadership amongst the church, his people? Jesus has given his people a tremendous gift, leadership in the form of elders. God's plan is that his people join themselves to a congregation with godly leadership and yield to them. I put a chart that's like a summary, like a one-page summary of this sermon. I put a chart on Facebook. It'll appear on the Delaware Bible Church Facebook page, I believe at noon today. You can look at that, download it. Maybe you'll find that helpful. Possible applications. Here's, here's a few to think through. I'm five minutes over, so I'm gonna go quickly here. Men, aspire to the qualities of an elder. Again, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. Uh, this is a good a benchmark for you to shoot for. I, because here's my argument. Even if you d- never have the desire to be an elder, you're gonna be a better man as a result for, of pursuing these character qualities. You know, Jordan Peterson's out there, a, a, a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist, a, a, a psych- no, what is he? psychology professor from the University of Toronto. He's out there making a lot of money on books, selling books, trying to help men be better. And the stuff, a lot of the things that he's saying comes right from the Bible. I'm not saying he's a Christian. I'm saying that a lot of the things that he's saying to help men get better are right from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Pray and show honor to your church elders. They labor for the Lord. Their labor for the Lord benefits you. Their labor for the Lord benefits you. And then finally, uh, submit. Submit to your church elders. If your elders are acting unbiblically or are characteristically unqualified, meaning they're unqualified because of their character, then find a church that has better, more biblical elders. Again, Church leadership, church constitutions are one thing when things are going really well, but they're very super critically important when there's times of conflict, strife, and persecution in the church. And, and as I've said, I believe that that time is coming because the Bible tells us that it is. And so let's each one of us um, pray for our elders and um, work on ourselves in terms of becoming more Christ-like in how we submit to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that you've given us in your word and the instruction that lies therein. Father, this design that you've given us for leading your people is very simple and yet very elegant at the same time. I'm moved by the fact, Lord, that you don't call us to select men that are tall or handsome or able to put together an eloquent eloquent speech Those are not the character qualities that you look for, but you instead look for humility, hospitality, even temperedness, sober-mindedness. Father, uh, let us together strive for these qualities in ourselves. And let us glory in the fact that this thing that we call church elders 
is not something that we tend to struggle with too badly around here at DBC. But Father, for the elders that we do have, I pray for them that you would make them even closer, draw them closer into the image of your son Jesus. Uh, Increase their humility and their servanthood to this body for your glory.